I ask you to keep your Bibles open again, and if you want to uh, mark Exodus 15, we will look at a few verses in Exodus 15 a little later during our study of this passage. And I just wanted to make um, a few recommendations to you. Last week, we looked at from the passage in uh, Philippians 4, the previous verses there dealt with anxiety. And if you would like to study a little further uh, on anxiety, I would uh, highly recommend this uh, really easy to read, but very biblical and uh, practical book by Louis Giglio, Putting an X Through Anxiety. Putting an X Through Anxiety. That's a great tool uh, and a great help, uh, especially if you struggle with anxiety or you know someone who does, would be very helpful. Then today in the passage, of course, as you have heard it read, uh, the scripture is addressing the issue of contentment. And if you would like to go further in that study of contentment, I've got a couple of sources here that, are, are, that I would highly recommend as well. This one is by Andrew Davis or Andy Davis. He was here with us a few uh, years ago teaching on heaven and this is called The Power of Christian Contentment. It's a great, uh, great tool, great read. Helps us to focus and uh, to understand what contentment is all about. We'll go much, much further than we'll have time to do in today's sermon. And then also the classic work on uh, contentment written by the Puritan uh, Jeremiah Burroughs. And this, this goes, uh, of course, a lot deeper. So if you want to go even deeper on this topic, the rare jewel of Christian contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs is a great read and study on biblical contentment as well. All of these books that I recommend are taking, are are biblical. They take scripture and help explain it and apply it. That's where the answer is for these issues is in the scripture. So those are a couple things I would uh, pass on to you if you want to study further. Uh, learning the secret of contentment, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Let's pause for just a moment and ask God to help us today. Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to gather here today to assemble. It is indeed a privilege to be able to uh, come together and to congregate and to assemble in a public setting like this, out in the open, to be able to uh, be here with uh, no fear of uh, persecution or threat of life. Father, we know that many of our brothers and sisters around the world uh, do not have that uh, privilege and that freedom, yet they still, they still meet, they still worship, they still, they still assemble. And so to be able to be here, Father, is all, it, it's already a privilege. It's, it's already a joy to, to have the strength to stand and sing and, Lord, to have the desire to pray and uh, to encourage one another to fellowship. And, uh, Father, most of all, to be able to open your precious, living, holy, eternal, true word And to see once again how your word is alive and how it's always relevant and how it always speaks directly to where we are. It is unchanging. It's been the same, Father, for thousands of years, and yet it is still very, very applicable today. 
as last week we looked at anxiety, this week we look at contentment. These are things that we all wrestle with. And Father, your word is sufficient to point us to the key, to the answers. And so, Father, we just ask that uh, you would speak to us today. We, we pray that you would work in our hearts. We pray that you would make us a contented people, not based upon our circumstance or situation, but contented in Christ. Lord, give us clear minds and clear hearts. Protect us from distractions and, and uh, wayward thinking and uh, sinful thoughts and all of the things that just attempt to clutter and, and cloud in when, when we come to this precious moment. And Father, we, we always confess to you that we are always in need We always need to hear from you. We always need grace from you in our lives. And so we humbly request that you would be supernaturally, wonderfully present today, transforming us into the likeness of Christ. And we ask all of this in his precious name. Amen. Learning the secret of contentment. Christian contentment, I'll define it this way, is the gracious ability, I say gracious ability because I believe we get this from the Lord, Christian contentment is the gracious ability to be at rest and satisfied with where God has us in life at any given time. Christian contentment is the gracious ability to be at rest and satisfied with where God has us in life at any given time. A discontented person is is always striving and is in turmoil because he feels he should have more or he feels he should not be in this situation A discontented person is unhappy with the life God has given him. He feels cheated. He feels entitled to more. He speaks of what he deserves or what is rightfully his. He's never, he seems to never be satisfied. On the other hand, a person who has discovered contentment has a, has a restful, satisfied, peaceful happiness about him. He lives in a, in a balanced state of life with a balanced view of life. He's steady when the seas of life are calm and and comfortable and easy sailing. And he's steady when the seas of life are erupting and the waves are crashing upon him. There is a peace about him even when his situation is anything but peaceful. And I want to suggest to us this morning... That believers, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, of all people, we should be people of contentment. For we, unlike anyone else in the world, 
We have what Paul says. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have all the reason to be content in this life. But just because we should know contentment and just because we should be content doesn't mean that we are. Doesn't mean that we know or have discovered contentment. In fact, it's often the case that even Christians become some of the most discontented people that you meet. Discontentment is easy to spot because it, it yields a, a critical spirit, a complaining spirit, a grumbling spirit. The, the discontented Christian appears to have a, a loss of hope, a loss of life. The Christian should always have praise upon his lips, but when he lacks contentment, he lacks praise. He loses the ability. When we become discontented, we lose the ability to be uplifting, to be encouraging. The discontented person never has anything good to say. Everything is always bad. Everything is always wrong. Now, we all fall prey to discontentment. If we're being honest with one another, if I'm being honest with you, we all are discontented from time to time. So, we all really need this biblical lesson on the secret of contentment. And imagine how attractive the gospel would be to the outside world. Imagine how winsome the church would be to those who are outside of the church. Imagine how wondrous it would be were the church to be filled with contented followers of Christ. Because truly the secret lies within the gospel. And therefore, the secret lies within the church, the body of people who carry the gospel, who know the gospel. The world breeds discontentment. The gospel breeds what we saw the title of this Puritan book, Jeremiah Burroughs, called The Rare Jewel of Christian contentment. First of all, we see in this passage that in verses 10 and 11, Paul is teaching us that contentment has to be learned. It's something that we have to learn. In verse 10, Paul is referring to a monetary gift of some sort that the church of Philippi had sent to him by way of Epaphroditus. We will actually learn all of that in the following verses, God willing, we'll look at that next week and, and we'll look at the joy of generous giving because that's what the next verses deal with. And Paul knew the church, he, he expresses to them, he, he, he knew the church was praying for him. He, he knew the church uh, loved him, supported him, was with him. He, he knew the church desired to minister to him, even financially, to, to be a blessing to him in his need. But, but there was a time, there was a period of time when, when they were unable to do so. They, they didn't have the means to do so. 
However, as soon as the Lord provided them with an abundance, they were eager to be a blessing to Paul in his imprisonment, in his time of particular specific need. In his season of life when he was on the receiving end rather than where he spent most of his life traveling from place to place, always on the giving end. Now he's on the receiving end and and they're eager to be a blessing to him in his need. But Paul wants them to know, doesn't he? He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Paul wants them to know that that even though he was in need, he wasn't having a pity party. He he wasn't sitting in prison and and all discouraged and and all frustrated and and in a state of discontent. He he wasn't frustrated with with the lack of support from his friends. He, He wasn't questioning God for allowing him or putting him in this condition. He was in need, but he wasn't speaking of being in need. He wasn't making an issue of it. He he wasn't making a deal of it. He wasn't drawing attention to it. He wasn't making himself the focus. He, He says, for I have learned, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now, that's why he wasn't complaining or grumbling or questioning or or despairing. He was content even though he was in genuine need. And I want to note a few things here that I ask you to note with me. First, he says he learned to be content. So Paul is saying... He wasn't, he wasn't always this way. It, this, this, this didn't come naturally. He, when he was born again as a new believer in Christ, he, he wasn't automatically content with all things. This is something that he had to learn. This is something that he had to, to go through. Contentment is something we have to learn. It's, it's not our natural bent. It, it's our natural bent to be inward to be selfish to be self-centered and therefore to look at any negative situation or or circumstance or or undertaking or whatever it might be to be as something against us or something wrong done to us or in those kind of connotations it's not our natural response discontentment is our natural response with negative circumstances You see, we don't have to learn. Paul wouldn't say, now I'm going to have to learn how to be discontented. We have to learn to be content. That discontentment, that natural inclination for us to be upset with where we are in life or what's happening to us in life or frustrated or discouraged. And even when... Even circumstances that even appear to us to be negative when, when in reality or when in time we come to understand they, they were actually truly positive. We have to learn to be content. But we're all prone the other way, aren't we? I was reminded as I was studying this passage, I was reminded recently our, our SEAL team, we looked at Exodus 15 
and uh, Exodus 15, where you find the uh, Israelites there, it, it's an interesting place because in the book of Exodus, okay, you know, the, the Exodus from Egypt, and when you land in Exodus 15, God has already delivered the Israelites from Egypt, and he's done so through this dramatic, miraculous series of these ten plagues, where even in, during these plagues of light and darkness and, 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 and the frogs and the hailstorm and all of these things that there was a distinction made between the people of Egypt and and the and the people of Israel and and through these 10 plagues then God delivered his people God brought his people out of 400 years after 400 years of slavery he he brought his people out of Egypt and Moses was leading them well then they come upon another interesting circumstance in in their journey is they come upon the red sea so in front of them is a there's the red sea and and then all of a sudden to their horror to their dismay they realize that pharaoh sat in egypt a couple of days and realized i've lost all my workers i'm not going to have this so he and all of his forces take off after the israelites so in front of them they have the red sea behind them they have pharaoh and his best chariots his vast army and they are bearing down on the israelites and there they are trapped nowhere to go nothing they can do all of them uh, more than likely imagining, well, just there's no telling what Pharaoh's going to do to us once he recaptures us and punishes us for fleeing and then drags us back to Egypt, right back into slavery. And then God does something that is absolutely unexpected, absolutely amazing, absolutely wondrous, proving his power, proving his provision, proving his promise. He parts the Red Sea. That wasn't expected. He parts a body of water to, to, the, to the point where there's dry land on the ground and the Israelites cross over. And the daring Egyptians, Pharaoh, will not be defeated. They go in after the Israelites. And after the Israelites cross over and on the other side of the sea and all Pharaoh and his army are in the Red Sea coming hard on their heels, the Lord allows the walls of the sea to close and the entire Egyptian army is annihilated. You won't find that story in Egypt's history. But you won't find Egypt as a superpower since. They ruled the world until the Red Sea. Now they had just witnessed with their eyes, with their lives, God's provision in these ten plagues And God's promise and God's deliverance through the Red Sea. Now watch in Exodus 15. In Exodus 15 in verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea 
Oh, and by the way, after they got, after God delivered them at the Red Sea, defeated the Egypt, they sing, they sing a song, they worship. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days. Catch that. Three days past the Red Sea. Three days. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah in verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses. That's what I wanted us to see in Exodus 15. Three days, just three days after the most miraculous deliverance in history. And they grumble. Discontent. We have to learn contentment with where God puts us in life. We have to learn it. But in order to learn contentment, we have to understand God God will put us in places where it's not easy to be content. Three days traveling, we have no water. It's not easy to be content, but knowing the power and promise and provision of God, we can be, we can learn to be content. God will put us in places where we have to learn to lean upon Him. We have to learn to trust in Him. We we have to learn to to embrace His Word and apply His Word and, and lean upon His Word. And that brings us to the second point from Paul here. He says, I I have to I, I learn to be content. He says, in whatever situation I am. In whatever situation I've learned, in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now, Paul's current situation he's writing from at this point, Paul's current situation was not one that lends itself to contentment. Remember, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. That's not a situation where you would normally say, I'm very contented right now to be in prison for living and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Paul was, Paul's need was desperate. He was in genuine need. And after all that Paul had done and labored and sacrificed for all of the churches in his ministry and all the people that he had won to Christ, no one was coming to his aid The last thing you expect in this situation is contentment. You expect some griping, some frustration, some bitterness, some anger, some doubt. But he's learned. He's learned in whatever situation. You see, we learn it in the difficult situations. We don't learn it. We we don't learn contentment when life is easy. Years ago, I was uh, 
a, a visiting preacher at an, in, in another congregation. And after the service, I was talking with a man, and, and he was sharing with me, and he began to list all the ways that God had blessed him. And, uh, and, and it, these were material blessings and health blessings and, you know, financial blessings. And he was saying, you know, I have this and I have this and I have this. And, and he listed, it must have been seven or eight things. And I, and I was just waiting on him to say, and I praise the Lord, you know, for how good the Lord's been to me or something along those lines. But he listed all of these things of how wonderful his life is right now. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, I wish I could say some of that. You know, I was discontented. But he, said, he listed all of these things, and then he said, instead of saying, I praise the Lord or I thank the Lord, he said, I'm content. And I thought, of course you are. Of course you are. Life right now is easy. That's not where we learn contentment. Let us not forget this truth. When God allows trying and difficult hardships in our lives, he is teaching us. And there there are any number of things he may be teaching us according to where we are spiritually, according to where we are in our journey of becoming like Christ. But one thing he may be helping us learn in these situations is contentment in hardship. Contentment. How attractive the gospel would be if the world took notice of our contentment in difficulty. You see, a discontented Christian tells the world, either God is not sovereign or he's not good. A discontented Christian tells the world, Christ is really not enough. A contented believer tells the world, my God is sovereign and my God is good and Christ is enough. We have to learn it. Which brings us to the second point in verse 12 where Paul is teaching us that contentment appears to be a secret appears to be a secret. Not only is contentment a virtue we must learn in less than contentment situations, Paul also calls it a secret. Now, I don't believe Paul means here that someone is hiding, you know, that it's, that it's hidden away from us, that, that we, we can't see it, we can't recognize it, we can't find it, or, or someone is just reserving it. It's a secret for just a, a few people you know, God, God is keeping it away from everybody else and he just lets a few people like Paul know about it. I don't think that's what Paul means here. I think what Paul means here, it's a secret because it's so rare. It, it appears to be a secret. It appears like not many people know this. It, it seems to be a secret. That's why Jeremiah Burroughs says the rare jewel of Christian contentment. It's like the best kept secret. I say it's like the best kept secret because what Paul has discovered allows him to face the extremes of life from one extreme to the other extreme without reacting as if he has no faith. 
Let me say that again. I, I, I say it's the best kept secret because what Paul has discovered allows him to face the extremes of life without reacting as if he has no faith. He says, in any and every circumstance. And then he, he describes those for us, doesn't he? He says, whether I'm brought low or whether I abound, whether I'm facing plenty or whether I'm in hunger, whether I have an abundance or whether I'm in need. In any and every circumstance, in the extremes of life, having an abundance or having need. So on one extreme, without contentment, when we find ourselves abounding or, or, or facing plenty or, or having an abundance, we tend to forget God. We tend to live as if we don't need God. We, we, we don't acknowledge God in our decision-making, in our life-making, in our day-to-day because we don't need Him. We, we have everything so we think. We have everything we need. So we're not approaching God, we're not addressing God, we're not seeking God. We, we tend to forget God when we live in abundance. And we also tend to forget others. We live as if when we are materially or, or, or wonderfully blessed in, in these temporal earthly ways, we, we, we tend to take all of that blessing in as our own fortune and, and rather than understanding God is blessing us that, that we might be an instrument of the gospel, that, that we might be a blessing to others. That's one extreme of having that abundance and living as if we have no faith. The other extreme then, without contentment, when we find ourselves brought low or when we find ourselves in hunger or when we find ourselves in need, we tend to blame God. We tend to be angry at God. That's interesting. When we have a lot, we forget God. When we don't have so much, we blame God. We also tend to blame others. We also tend to get at odds with others and and grow jealous and grow envious and grow covetous. Paul says he's learned, he's learned a secret that enables him to face the extremities of life, having plenty and being hungry. And he can face those extremities without reacting as if he has no faith. So what's the secret? What has he learned? And that's the third point of the sermon, verse 13. And we all, or at least probably most of us, know this one by heart. I can do all things... Through him, that's Christ, who strengthens me. Christ is the key to contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
When I abound, he strengthens me to be thankful to him and gracious to others. When I'm in need, he strengthens me to trust in him and rejoice rather than complain. Now, this verse is quoted a lot for many different reasons. It's written a lot. People use it a lot. And I think it's broad enough. I think it's broad enough to apply to many of the situations in our lives that would test our faith, that would test our Christ-likeness. I think it does do that. But I don't believe all things means anything you can think of or, or anything that you strive for, which it, at, at its end is, is what you have set your goal and your life upon for your own interest. I don't think this verse applies to us doing whatever we want to do how we want to do it, living our lives our way, pursuing our own dreams and passions apart from God, and then saying, oh, and by the way, you know, slap, slap Philippians 4.13 on it and, and, and believe God's going to bless what we're doing. I don't think it means that. It does mean that Christ will enable us to reach the goals that he has set for us. In this life. And those are the real goals. And one of them is contentment. Specifically in this context. Philippians 4.13 means. In whatever situation God places us in. He will strengthen us. If we rely on him. If we listen to him. If we face it with faith. And joy. And if we could all learn this secret of contentment, what a powerful witness of the gospel we would be. What a what a, a restraint from sin and temptation that would be if we were content. Discontentment leads to a lot of sin. You may find yourself today in a situation that is less than humanly possible to be content. Like you might find yourself in a situation kind of like Paul was in when he's writing this letter. You may feel today forgotten. You may feel that you've been cheated in life. You've been cheated out of some of life. You may be hurt. You may be in need. You may not know what to do. You may be frustrated, you may be discouraged. This is a kind of sermon that's hard to prepare for and hard to preach. If I've learned anything in the last month, I've learned that I'm still learning to be content. So how do we learn contentment? Remember these three things. Remember these three things. God is sovereign. We are not where we are by accident. God is in control. Number two, God is good. 
If he has led us here, he has a purpose. He's building our faith. He's teaching us. And on the other side of it, he's going to use us as a blessing to others. One of the things that I've learned in various obstacles or situations in life is that sometimes God's just teaching me to long for him more. God's just creating in my spirit the desire to worship, which is what I'm created to do, but everything gets in the way of that so many times. Number one, God is sovereign. Number two, God is good. Number three, Christ is our life. Christ is our life. Nothing else, no circumstance. There's no abundance that's your life. There's no need that's your life. Remember Philippians 1.21 where Paul says this, For me, to live is Christ. There's the secret. When Paul says in Philippians 4, I've learned, I've learned the secret he told us the secret. In Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Remember those three things. God is sovereign. God is good. Christ is our life. And number four, seek him wholeheartedly in his word and he will speak directly to your situation. Go to him in his word. He has a word for you. He has a word for me in any and every situation. I want to close this morning by bragging on one of our members. And it's, uh, I, had the, I had the opportunity, the privilege a couple of weeks ago to go sit in the home of Steve and Diane Parker, visit with them a while and pray with them. Now here's a man who three days a week goes to dialysis, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for four hours at a time. Then on Tuesday every week, he goes and has 22 pounds of fluid drawn off of his stomach every week. So by the time you get through with all the dialysis and all the drawing of the fluid and all of that, there's not much strength left. There's not much of your week left. There's not much of anything really left. And that's how Steve is existing A little over two years ago, Steve was, the doctors told him he didn't have much time at all. I remember that time because he called Martin and I and he asked us to come over and he shared that with us that he was nearing the time for him to go to heaven. When I was visiting with him a a few weeks ago, he said, you know, when the doctor told me that, My grandchild was getting ready to be born. 
And he said, I just prayed and asked God, would you let me live long enough to see my grandchild born? And he said, Pastor, that was over, my grandchild was born, and that was two years ago. And he said this, God has really been good to me. That man has learned a secret that we all need to learn. Let's pray. Father, we bow before your presence. We've, we are so thankful for your word. And we ask now, God, that you would make us a people of contentment. Fill our hearts, fill our lives with the Holy Spirit of God that would enable us and help us to reflect upon Christ, to meditate upon the gospel, to treasure him above all things. So that in any and every circumstance and whatever situation we face, we can say with Paul, we've learned to be content and that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, may it be so in my life and in my heart and in your church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.